0: We'll start with uh, Genesis chapter 49 and verse 1 says, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that it never changes. We thank you that you are The unchangeable God and therefore stable and therefore someone whom we can always rely on. We thank you and ask you now to fill us with your spirit as I speak and as they listen, that we might be benefited today and that we might grow in Jesus Christ, be strengthened, blessed by your spirit. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. In this particular position or spot in the scripture, you recognize Jacob is old. He's about to die. He's passing on the blessings. Uh, I'm not so sure why they call them blessings, but they do call them blessings later on at the end. Um, but he's saying what's going to happen to his kids. That's what it is. Everybody's interested in what happens to the next generation. And Jacob was no different here. in they, they are in Egypt when he's giving this blessing. Uh, you remember how they got there. Uh, there was a famine. Joseph had been sold by his nice brothers uh, into slavery because they didn't like him. And they were jealous of him. Uh, Joseph was probably the only straight arrow in the group. Uh, he was definitely born again and definitely loved the Lord. And his brothers didn't like that. So now you're getting a little insight already into the nature of uh, the children of Israel, Jacob's children. And we're going to see a little bit more about their character here in, in the blessing of Jacob. So let's start with Reuben, the firstborn. In verse 3 of chapter 49, it says, Thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it, he went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitation, O my soul. Come not thou unto their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah. Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp, and from his prey, and from the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet till Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Binding the foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, his teeth white with milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for a haven of ships. And his border shall be unto Sidon. Issachar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. And he saw that rest was good. And the land that it was pleasant. And bowed his shoulder to bear. And became a servant unto tribute. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way. An adder in the path. That biteth the horse heels. So that his rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. God, a troop gad. A troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainty. Naphtali is a hindlet loose, he giveth goodly words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hand of... The mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breath and of the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of thy progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hill. They shall be on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is that their father spake unto them, and blessed them every one according to his blessing. He blessed them, and charged them, and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in Ephron, in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought with the field, bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. We see here a difficult situation for Israel. As you can see from these remarks by their dad, the kids were not all that great. Uh, there, there's a lot of bad things said about these 12 tribes. Joseph seems to stand out. Among them, but the thing that's interesting and that's not mentioned directly here is that Israel has been in Egypt in captivity for 430 years. Now, when they got there, things were pretty nice. They went there. Joseph was there. Joseph, his extremely high character, his ethics, his uh, his godliness. And his gifts and talents that he got from God prophetically in the interpretation of dreams and the understanding of them, his extraordinary wisdom. So impressed Pharaoh that Pharaoh made him eventually the prime minister to handle this famine. The famine, of course, came and left. How long it stayed? It doesn't precisely say maybe three years. The effects of the famine. Joseph, of course, administered all of that. And Pharaoh was a tremendous friend of Joseph. And Joseph was a tremendous friend of Pharaoh. But that didn't last long. And as time passed on, the pharaohs changed and one pharaoh became afraid of the children of Israel, thinking that they might turn against them in battle. And in the not too distant time after the famine was over, instead of being in the best land of Goshen where they stayed, they all became slaves to Pharaoh. Four hundred and thirty years they stayed. They were only supposed to stay there during the famine, but they remained there. They were comfortable there. And instead of doing what God had said and going back to Canaan, where they came from, they got comfortable in Egypt. But that comfort turned into slavery, which happens to anybody if you stay out of the will of God long enough. Four hundred and thirty years, four hundred and thirty years ago in the United States would be 1593. That's a long time ago. William Shakespeare was 30 years old at that time. He was writing. Queen Elizabeth I was the Queen of England. The King James Bible had not been printed yet. Have to wait another 18 years for that to come out. That's how long ago it was. It's a long, long time. We say 430 years and we don't think that much about it. But that's a long, 1593 is a long time ago. And that's the situation. So instead, and so no one can judge God for getting on Israel's case. He finally sends Moses along to break them out. And Pharaoh, of course, doesn't want to let them go. So now let's go up to Exodus and see some more characteristics on how our friends have been doing over this period of time. We saw when they were at the end of Jacob's life. And now I'd like to invite you to Exodus and uh, chapter seven, Exodus chapter seven. And we'll see some more characteristics of our friends here. And uh, also some of the things that God is doing to uh, encourage them to leave and to encourage Pharaoh to let them go. They had been complaining about slavery for some time. They didn't like being slave. No question about it. But what I want to point to is the fact that they were there. They had been disobedient. And now they are going to witness the judgment of God on Pharaoh. And they're going to see the difference between how God treats Pharaoh and how God treats Israel. And God introduces the whole subject in chapter 7 of Exodus, verse 1, and, and the, some of the following verses. says, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Now, you remember that it took God a while for to persuade Moses to go. Moses didn't want to do that. And so, uh, but finally Moses went and... Uh, And this is the situation that we're here with now. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Now, Pharaoh thought that he was kind of like God. They worshipped other gods, but he was the big, pardon the expression, kahuna. He, He was the big guy. He was it. And he thought quite a lot of himself, and he didn't like to be contradicted. So God warns Moses about Pharaoh's reaction. He says, don't let it get to you. This is all in my hand. This is going to happen. It's supposed to happen this way. And so Moses stands before and We have the first judgment, in, in, um, after the, even before the judgment started. Remember the, the rod of Moses, and he threw it down. And then the magician and it turned into a serpent. Right. And then the magicians did the same thing. And so and then Moses serpent ate up the two serpents of the magicians and the story for that little miracle. But that was a that was a miracle all in front of a Pharaoh. Uh, and uh, and so then we get to the first judgment. And it says in verse 15, get the uh, God talking to Moses, get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink against he come, and the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thy hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go. Notice that God says, My people. He repeats that a lot. God is identifying with these guys, even though they're not really that uh, high character, we might say. Uh, and let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness, and behold, hitherto thou wouldst not hear. Thus saith the Lord, in this shalt thou know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that that is in my hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned into blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river." Well, of course, Uh, now you have to remember that there are a lot of rivers in Egypt, especially when you look at the Nile Basin as it empties into the Mediterranean. There's a ton of rivers there. Now, his palace was apparently along one of them and they were used to feeding their cattle and and uh, and giving drink to their cattle and getting water for cooking and for all their agricultural needs came from this river by the palace of the great pharaoh. Well, now all that's turned to blood. So. Uh, and the fish, of course, are going to die, and I can ima- you can imagine the stink. Uh, that's, that's not, I mean, that's pollution, uh, you know, course 100. That, that's, that's, that's pollution starting pretty heavy. And so, uh, um, this situation is going to get worse, but Pharaoh, um, he's not bending too quickly, and so he, uh, he doesn't like that, but, uh, in the, in, in either case, And it's it's a mess. And now, instead of just being able to get water, the whole agricultural situation for all of Egypt has changed. Because in Goshen, the water is just fine. But in all the rest of Egypt, they have to now dig new wells. They have to dig wells for their cattle. They have to dig wells to drink themselves. They have to dig wells. And if you've got a lot of camels, camels drink a lot. (laughs) And uh, horses and bulls and cows and sheep and goats and everything. I mean, agriculturally... Uh, This is a pretty big deal. Not only is it getting smelly, but there's a lot of extra work imposed on the whole country. And this is where God is going. He's starting to make a difference already between Pharaoh himself and the Egyptian. God knows what Pharaoh's going to do, but he's still trying to show a little grace, you might say, to the Egyptians. He knows they're not going to like. So then he sends Pharaoh doesn't budge, so he sends a second A plague, which is in chapter 8, verse 1, The Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I'll smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up, come into thine house, into thy bedchamber, upon thy bed, into the house of thy servants, upon thy people, into thine ovens, into thy uh, kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up, both on thee, upon thy people and upon thy, all thy servant. And the Lord spake unto Moses, say, say unto Aaron, stretch forth thy, rod, uh, thy hand with the rod over the streams, over the rivers and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. So Aaron does this, and frogs are coming up everywhere, and they're getting into everything. They're in the kitchen, they're in the bedroom, they're in the children's playroom, they're on the musical piano. They're inside of everything and everywhere. Frogs are everywhere. And Pharaoh is saying, this is too much. So he says, okay, I'll let you guys go. Just get rid of the frogs. So Moses says, okay. And... uh, He does he he does uh, get rid of the frogs, but it's interesting. He asks them when, and he says tomorrow. Now I still don't understand why he waited a day. But uh, in verse 11, the frogs shall depart from thee, and from thy houses, and from thy servants, and from thy people. They shall remain in the river only. The problem was they didn't go back into the river. They just died where they were. He killed them all. Then they had to shovel them all. So again, that's not a pleasant smell. And so you have just. Hundreds of thousands of, or millions maybe, is throughout the whole country of Egypt. And uh, Pharaoh probably had it cleaned out pretty quickly from the palace area, but uh, the whole country stinks. First you've got all the dead fish in the river, now you've got dead frogs everywhere. God did not have them crawl back into the river, he just killed them right there. It says in verse 13, the Lord did according to the word of Moses and the frogs died. Out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields, and they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank once again. But Pharaoh saw that there, when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart, and hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. Third plague, lice. The Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout the land of Egypt. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand uh, with his rod and smote the dust of the earth. And it became lice in man and in beast. And all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the, magician and the, and the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice. But they could not. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Then the magicians said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. So now you're getting some people starting to change around Pharaoh himself. These magicians, uh, now why they're going to multiply these, you know, why they multiply the frogs and they duplicate the lice now. Then, then the next time there's swarms of flies. That's the fourth judgment, swarms of flies. And, and the magicians want, they're, they're duplicating some of this stuff. So they're making it worse in order to prove that they can do it. But when you get to this point, they can't do it anymore. And they say, hey, this is, the guy that's doing this is a guy that we don't know about. But he's a lot more powerful than any of us. And so uh, little by little, there's this division going on. And the judgments continue. And Pharaoh continues to rebel. He says, yes, get rid of the lice and uh, I'll let your people go. And then he doesn't. Uh, and so then come swarms of flies. And I don't like flies, but these are swarms of flies. I mean, I got a good fly swatter where I live, but uh, my goodness, <laughs> there's a, it's... A, Swarms of flies, you had swarms around. If you have animals, you got flies. And, uh, but swarms of flies everywhere. And once again, Pharaoh doesn't let them go. And so then the next plague comes up, and the fifth one is uh, called a murrain. Chapter 9, verse 1, the Lord said unto Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go, and will withhold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in thy fields, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, upon the sheep, and there shall be a very grievous moraine. Verse four, and the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is that is the children of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing, and six. The Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died. But the cattle of the children of Israel died not. So now, and, and Israel's seeing all this. Israel's not blind to all of this. Then comes the next curse is in chapter 9, verse 6. It's boils. Boils appear on animals and people. Uh, anybody here ever had a boil? I have had a boil. you had a boil. I had a boil. When I was... Uh, a midshipman at the United States Naval Academy, I rode for the Navy crew team. And your leg, when you pull the oar, kept hitting the little wooden bar. And one of my calves, as a result of somehow or other, got infected. And, and that be, turned into a boil on my calf. And, uh, and it really hurt. It was red. It was inflamed. I went down to the doctor. He looked at it. He said, well, we've got to wait. We can't lance it now. Uh, we have to wait till it forms a head. And so but uh, just hang in there. And But that was one painful thing. I have never had a boil. I don't ever want it. I never had one since. I don't, I don't want one either. But they are painful. They're very painful. And I was waiting for the thing to come to a head, so to speak. And it was starting to develop and all that. And I was throwing the football around outside. And as I made a quick turn, my calf muscle must have tightened up too much. And it pushed that boil and it blew it out. And it just go boosh. And so pus and blood were flying everywhere. I had a hole in my calf that big and about that deep. And it felt good and bad at the same time. I mean, it was a mess. I've still got the scar from that dude. And it, I mean, boils are no fun. That's all I'm trying to say. And, and so when everybody's getting boils, including your livestock, you've got a problem. Well, boils didn't convince him. He said yes, and then he said no. Then comes hailstones. So hail and fire come down. And uh, to try and convince him. That's the next thing. These are progressive and they're getting a little worse. They're they're causing more and more destruction. You already got uh, pollution going on uh, big time. And now you've got the personnel getting hurt. The animals are dying. I mean, Egypt is getting wrecked big time. And uh, the Egyptians are seeing this. And they're starting to turn against Pharaoh. You know, hey, get them out of here. That's what they're saying. They are counseling him, but he's not going to budge right yet. And so you've got hailstorm, and uh, there was hail on, in front of the prophet's chamber when I came in. But they were about this big. They were little pebbles. These hailstones were probably the size of baseballs. Now, I've seen hailstones the size of golf balls, but, and in fact, one got my car uh, two years ago when I was driving through and made a big dent in it. Caused some, But that's, you know, that my, my car is a Grand Cherokee, it's a pretty tough Jeep, uh, but I mean, it hit part of that top part of the door, and it put a wacko hole in that thing. I mean, it dented that thing big time. Cost me good money to get that thing. Hail is nothing to mess with. And God told His people. God told everybody through Moses. He said, "Get your cattle, get your servants out of the field, bring them under cover." And those that believed the Lord, the Scripture says, did that, and they were protected. And everyone that did not believe it got killed. By this hail, now, part of this it says, and fire came down from heaven with the hail, and uh, which is lightning, and and kind of rolled across the fields. I, I never understood that until I was in Peru. I was driving to a Bible conference up in the mountains of Peru, and there was a huge storm in front of me. I could see it, I wasn't in it. But you could see the fields and the beautiful, beautiful, you know, just hills and green and there were sheep and uh, livestock on the fields. But this storm was there and lightning came down and there was literally balls of fire, of lightning, which would form a ball and roll across the field like a big ball. The ball might be about this big around and it would roll across the field. And if it had hit any of the animals, they're toast. Literally. And uh, and uh, it was an amazing thing. And the natives knew about that. I had never seen anything like it. Uh, I traveled some in my life. My dad was military and I was military, but never anything like that. And uh, but these these shepherds up there in those, they knew about that. And they say, when that happens, we get our sheep out of there. So this is another aspect of it that is interesting, but, uh, you can imagine, it's one thing to get hit by lightning, it's another thing to have a ball of lightning roll, roll over your cattle. Uh, but that's what had happened here. So that, then after the hail, as if that wasn't enough, then locusts is the next thing. So he, you know, whatever doesn't, whatever crops are not broken down by the hail, then he sends locusts to eat up everything. And so that's the eighth plague again Pharaoh hardens his heart and then uh, then the ninth one is darkness i don't understand what that darkness is it says specifically uh, in verse 23 of chapter 10 and they saw not one another neither rose any from his place for 3 days but all the children of israel had light in their dwellings now have you ever visited uh, the the Luray caverns or in, in Shenandoah or some other cavern somewhere you're down you know several hundred feet and then they turn the lights out and everybody's going like this, you know, trying to see. But your eyes never get used to it down there. There is no light. When somebody turns out the light and the kids, you know, in the room, they look for a little crack in the door, a little window, something like that. A little, uh, your eyes get adjusted. And so you can orient yourself. In this kind of darkness, your eyes never get used to it. You could do that 24 hours and you're never going to see your hand. That's how dark it is. And that's what God did. How he did it, your guess is as good as mine. It doesn't say, and I don't know. Maybe you got an idea. But... I do know that Israel had light and Egypt had no light. And I mean, Israel, all these 12 tribes, they're living through this. They are witnesses to all of this. And then, of course, the final plague is the death of the firstborn. And that's the one that finally got Pharaoh. When his son died, who was going to be the heir to his throne, he said, get him out of here. The people are hollering at Pharaoh, get them out of here. Egypt is destroyed. Can't you see what has happened to our country? And so he's got all the people against him. And he's got now his own family is being hit. And so he is finally says, OK. And so he lets them go. Now, I want to emphasize Israel saw all this. All the children of Israel witnessed the difference between what God was doing with them and what God was doing with Egypt. And as he let them go, we can read again. And uh, it talks about the Lord's Supper and, and all of that here and the Passover being. And, you know, the meaning of the word Passover, the Passover. In other words, he's not going to kill the firstborn if they had the blood over there and all of that. You're, you're aware of that. But uh, now when you get to chapter, let's go a little further here. I want to go quickly uh, to bring out the main point of all of this. It says that uh, in chapter 13, verse 17, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God let, led them not through the way of the land. So now they're, they're out and, uh, oops, I skipped over one part. They, they go through the red sea. Um, no, no this is good. This is good. I'm good. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, they didn't want him to, he didn't want him to go through the land of the Philistines. Uh, although that was near for God said, let less peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. So God doesn't have a whole lot of faith in his own people yet. Okay. uh, uh They've been slaves for a long time. They're probably physically pretty tough, but uh, mentally they're not hacking it. And so uh, instead of leading them just along the coast of the Mediterranean, that's the easy way to go. From Egypt, you just go through the, what's called the River of Egypt. You cross over the Nile and the whole territory there, and you can see it on your map in the Bible. And it just goes right on up, and you're in Canaan. And it's supposedly an 11-day journey or something like that. And they're walking day and night. Uh, Uh, And and, uh, it says they've got a cloud of fire by night to give them light and and a cloud by day just to let them, to guide them. Because, you know, it's it's not like they've got Interstate 75 out there and they're not going to be able to stop by McDonald's anytime. And so they're in the desert. This is wilderness, total wilderness. And they go down, uh, I believe, by the um, eastern ear to the Red Sea. And he gets them down, and they go through a huge ravine with cliffs on both sides, and they empty out onto this big beach. And there are literally uh, over a million, maybe up to six million of them now, uh, on the beach. I'm not sure about that number at this point in time, but there was a lot of them. And and they can't, and and there's the, the Red Sea in front of them. Well, God then moves from being in front of them, and puts himself at the pass, you might say, at the entrance or the the exit, depending on your point of view, uh, so that Pharaoh's army can't come through. And he sits there <clears throat> and blocks them all night long. <clears throat> and during the night, then he has a strong wind and that divides the Red Sea. And you know the story. Wall of water on both sides. Israel marches through. What I'm saying, Israel sees all this. Israel's participating in all this. They see what God is doing. They saw what God had done. These guys who are not really the nicest people on earth anyway, Israel. They are God's chosen people. God says, these are my people. Like them or hate them, they're my people. Good guys, bad guys, they're my people. And so he makes a difference between them. And they are there and they're witnessing all that God has done. And so they come through and then God moves his presence. It's almost like a trick. And Pharaoh then charges, sends his troops down into the valley if you can call it the the path across the red sea that Israel just passed through with a wall of water on both sides pharaoh's really dumb dumb but he he goes through there and then god takes the wheels off their chariot you take one wheel off a chariot and they're just going to go in a circle and uh, you know the horse he can't help it and so they're in the middle of all that and and they really uh, are in trouble and chapter 14, verse 25 says, And God took off their chariot wheels and they drove them heavily so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then, of course, the Lord told Moses, Hold up your hand and uh, the waters drown them all out. <clears throat> and that is how that ends. But it doesn't end there because look at verse uh, then, then, then they're on on the other side. And chapter 15 gives the song of Moses, which is a beautiful song, by the way. And you you should read that and study that. It, it, there's a lot of details about what happened uh, as they crossed the Red Sea in that song that you wouldn't know anyway any, any other way. But then, in the end of chapter 15. About verse 22, it says, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people, verse 24, murmured against Moses, saying, get this, what shall we drink? <clears throat> and he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord solved the problem, cut off a bough of a, a, a piece of tree, throw it in the water. The waters were sweet and they could drink it. And so then they went from there and then they went to Elam. In verse 27, 12 wells of water, three score ten palm trees and they encamped there by the water. From Elam, then they continue on and again in the desert and when they ran out of water, verse 2 of chapter 16 says, the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now, how rebellious do you have to be to not get it? They saw all ten judgments of God separating them from Egypt. They saw God split the Dead Sea and they walked through and then God drowned the entire Egyptian army. They went to Mara and they saw God turn poison water into drinking water. They camped out nicely at Elam. Then they go and they're out of water again and they're still complaining. It takes them about three days To forget everything that they've seen. I don't know about you. But if I saw one or two of those miracles. I think I'm in. I think I'm going to say. I'm going to stay with those guys. They're God. I like him. But why did God choose Israel? I believe that Israel has to be. The most rebellious. Hard-headed. Stupid nation. That God could ever pick. Now they're smart. Don't get me wrong. They're smart. But when it comes to things of God. These guys are blind as a bat. No, they're blinder than a bat. How many miracles would it take you to say, I'm going to follow this guy. That's the real guy. Two, three. I mean, it depends on the miracle. If I saw God split the Red Sea and walk through and I'm right there, (laughs) I'm in. But these guys know how blind can you be? You know what the answer is? Why did God pick them? For the same reason that sometimes we say, if God can save me, he can save anybody. You ever hear that? We know how we are. We know her. And God knew how they were. And God picked them to be an example of his grace. He didn't want anybody to confuse the idea that I am picking them because they are really a good people. Just like he doesn't want any of us to say I'm picking you because you're a good person. You're going to get saved because you're a good guy. You're going to get saved because you're a nice girl. No way, Jose. God chose Israel because they were the worst of the worst of the worst. He said, I'm picking them. That way, no other country can say, I can't Change things for God. No other people group can say I am too bad for God because there is no one worse than these people. And it's all to prove grace. This church is called Grace Baptist Church. Our sending church is in Mankato, Minnesota. Grace Baptist Church. The whole idea is to show That you and I are saved by grace. The whole idea is to show nations that salvation and blessings and prosperity and absence of crime all come from God. It's all by grace. It's all by grace. He gives it to you through Jesus Christ. There's a song called grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount. Outpoured there where the blood of the lamb was spilt. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Freely bestowed on all who believe. All who are longing to see his face. Will you this moment his grace receive? Have you received the grace of God? Have you understood the extent Of the grace of God. The grace of God is infinite. The grace of God is eternal. The grace of God is unconditional. That is salvation. That is the Christian life. That is the reason for being. That is our great God and our great Lord. Do you know him? Are you sure? This is not one you want to play with. You're either going to be treated like Israel by his grace. Or you're going to be treated like the Egyptian army by his judgment. One day it's all going to hit. But God is patient. He waited 430 years to bring Egypt out, to bring Israel out of Egypt. That's a lot of patience. And he wasn't patient for his own people. He was patient for them. He was patient for the law. So let us understand grace and let us give ourselves over to grace to walk according to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be an example to those who don't yet know His grace. And all God's people said, Amen.